God, just to, uh, just to be in your presence. Uh, Lord God, just to be in the presence of my brothers and sisters in the faith. Lord God, we're so thankful that we can look at these people in here, Lord God, and say, that's my brother. That's my sister who loves Jesus Christ. So we just want to thank you so much uh, that through the blood of Jesus that this is even possible. Indeed, that we all have, uh, those who have placed their faith in Jesus have been adopted by God and now we are children of God. Father, we ask you today as we uh, walk this uh, path again uh, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, Lord God, that we may receive again uh, the word that you have in store for us today. Again, we love you. We thank you, Lord God. And may Jesus Christ be exalted. Amen. 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 One of the interesting things about, uh, about D-Day, and as the, uh, they were considering the fact, how can they uh, come at the Germans in order to have ultimate victory over them. And if you have studied the history, that one of the things that, uh, that you also know is that uh, this D-Day, it really didn't begin on D-Day. Uh, they didn't just come up with a plan to execute it only on D-Day. As they tried, many of the nations uh, of the Allied forces uh, that tried to come at Germany, they tried to come at uh, Germany in different ways. Many of you already know that it was Russia, they were coming in from the east. But also the United States had already established a foothold in Sicily, Italy. That they had basically allowed themselves to make it all the way, not only through Sicily, but also through uh, the continent, uh, the, uh, the country itself. Sicily is like a little island. So uh, they established themselves on that island because they're trying to figure out how can we get at Germany. So you had Russia coming in from the east, and then uh, they arrived in Sicily, and they, uh, they won Sicily, and then now they went on the mainland of Italy, and they had made their way all the way up ultimately overthrowing Mussolini. But still, they could not get in. So then they had this brilliant plan that one of the things that they would do would be they would set up these forces in England. Uh, and in England, uh, there were thousands and thousands of military personnel. Uh, so when the Nazis... Uh, flew their planes and took pictures over England uh, trying to spy to see what was going on. And they, saw, they saw all these thousands and thousands of tanks and military personnel, vehicles and, and the like. And, 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 and uh, Hitler, he looked at this and he said, they're going to try to come in this way into what was called Cali. So he sent one million troops uh, into Cali uh, in that particular area, I think it was in, in, in France, thinking that this is the way that they would actually come in. But one thing that Hitler did not know, that all this personnel that they saw from the plane, it was all balloons. It was all balloons. It was a smoke and mirror show. 
But Hitler being uh, such an egomaniac that he was, he insisted, even though uh, some of his uh, subordinates were telling him it is possible that they could come in somewhere else, he knew that he was such a genius uh, that he would keep his million men there. And then, of course, D-Day happened. Still having an opportunity uh, to send many, many men over to Normandy. Normandy. He had made it up in his mind that even though the Allied forces had come in into Normandy, that they still were going to attack, so he kept his million men there. And eventually, all these, uh, all these Allied forces from everywhere, er, were coming from everywhere, they eventually had victory over Nazi Germany. So, well, Pastor Spencer, you've been talking about forgiveness, the power of forgiveness. What does this have to do with the power of forgiveness? I mention this because in our lives, there are certain things that have a stronghold. There are certain things in our lives that just simply does not want to surrender. And in our lives, uh, one of those things that does not want to surrender is either the idea of forgiveness or the idea of unforgiveness. So the Word of God is like a spiritual D-Day. Uh, that the Word of God, uh, for all those forces that have set up strongholds in your life or my life, if that were the case, uh, that the Word of God comes in from the East. That the Word of God comes in from the South. Uh, that the Word of God comes in from the West. The Word of God comes in from the North. Because what God is saying, He's saying that He wants to liberate us. He's saying that uh, you need a spiritual D-Day in your life. That that unforgiveness that is so stubborn that you know that you cannot let go, that God says that I'm going to give you the victory. But one thing must happen. You know, as in Nazi Germany, many of you know that Hitler, he, he committed suicide. But he insisted that his men would never, ever surrender. Uh, but one thing, obviously, that Hitler didn't know, he didn't know people as much as he thought he did. Because when those forces came in, uh, they would do the great surrender this or wave a flag because you know when you are done. You know uh, when uh, you have been overpowered. So I'm telling you uh, this afternoon that God's word, uh, that it can overpower and overtake that area of your life. But you must do one thing. You must do one thing. That in your praise and worship, as you lift up your hands to the Lord our God, who gives us the victory, not only do you worship him, but this is also a sign of surrender. So as we worship, we surrender. As God tells us uh, that I accept your worship, we tell him that, Lord, I surrender. Do your work in my life. So as I begin to preach this message, I believe that the word of God will also touch your life. 
And I just want you to raise your hands now with me. And worship the Lord. And just tell the Lord, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord God. And at the same time, tell the Lord, I surrender. Amen. Where again, why so much emphasis on forgiveness? Why so much focus on this area? Well, we know that a lack of surrender, that it can throw an individual's life into a tailspin, and it can completely disrupt a church. But we also know that this idea of forgiveness, that it is a truly powerful force uh, that can change uh, not only the spirit of your life, uh, the spirit of our church, or even uh, the spirit uh, of your workplace. Why? Because the spirit of forgiveness, it ushers in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, that the world can't help but to sit up and notice. You see, uh, when you forgive, the world takes a look. But at the end of the day, it is not about the world. It's all about us and us uh, surrendering ourselves to the Lord. Before she passed away in 1988, in a moment of surprising openness on television, Marganita Lasky, uh, who was once uh, well-known as a, a secular humanist and novelist, in other words, she didn't believe nothing that those Christians talked about. It was all about people, right? That whole idea of being human. She says this, and I quote, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Why? Because she didn't believe it was necessary in the first place. What a very tragic place to be. But we're going to take a, a slightly different turn on forgiveness today. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And we all know that forgiveness is uh, not an easy thing to do. But I want you to know this, and you can write this down. Sometimes that getting to a point of forgiveness requires a bold step. Sometimes getting to the point of forgiveness requires taking a bold step. Here it is, Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus says to his disciples, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. In other words, Jesus is telling us that when we have been offended, that silence is not the answer. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? 
Uh, because when we have been offended, that one of the things that we want to do is to clam up. We want to hold it back. And Jesus, he begins this verse by using the words if, which signifies uh, that it is a conditional statement. In other words, he's saying that it is likely to happen that during the course of your lifetime that a brother, or for that matter, a sister, that they will offend you. In other words, what you going to do? What will you do when you are offended? How will you respond? One of the things you also know that if you have been in church or around church folks uh, for any time of your life, or I would say even for one second for that matter, that one thing that you know that as long as you are in and around church folks, that folks are going to offend you. So if you think that you're going to walk up into a church where all these safe folks raising their hands saying, I surrender, I surrender all. I surrender, I surrender all. All to thee, right? And, and they're worshiping and they're just seeing like just the most beautiful person in the world. One thing that you know, and that is that the flesh is a trip. But sometimes that folks' flesh will rise up, either wrongly or rightly, and cause a mess to occur. But the bottom line is you also know that not only is offense in the church, but we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that offense is outside of the church. When was the last time someone offended you on your job? And if you got that kind of job that no one has ever offended you or said anything uh, crooked or skewed or out of the way, uh, we want to meet with you after service because all of us want to apply there. Jesus says, however, that it is the brother who has done the offending. And my question to you this afternoon is, has a brother in the faith, has a sister in the faith, uh, have they ever offended you? As we look forward in our text, it becomes abundantly clear that Jesus is saying that it's going to happen. Jesus says that just because you are saved, that does not mean that you will not be offended in the faith. <laughs> so why is it that we have this notion that just because everything's supposed to be hunky-dory in the church, that nobody is going to offend us? Well, you know how it is. You know how it is. That sometimes the people who are the closest to you can offend you. <laughs> Even your own husband or your own wife. Oh boy, they can make you mad, I'm here to tell you. But thank God, God delivered me. Some people say, I'm just trying to be real with you. 
This is the life I live within uh, the body that God has given me. So Jesus is asking us, he's, he's telling us, well, what, what do you do when you are offended? I'll tell you what some folks do. I'm leaving the church. I'm gone. That person offended me. No one did anything about it, so I'm out, I'm out of the door. And if you're on the job, what happens? Boy, I can't wait. I have the first opportunity to get another job, and then I'm out of the door because they shouldn't talk to me that way. And all I'm saying as we look through what Jesus is telling us here, that this not only works within the church, do you know this also works outside of the church? Did you not know that? You'll, you'll see this in one second. So Jesus says that this person sins against you, that this believer has actually uh, done wrong to you. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 25, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 25, Eli tells his sons, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Okay, I see what you're saying, but what's the connection? The connection is simply this, that God has set up, he has set up a model in which he says, if you abide by this, uh, that he can fix or bring reconciliation within relationships. He says there, if someone sins against a man, he says God will, uh, will mediate for him. So now Jesus in Matthew 18, he is setting up a way for us. Uh, Jesus is God. He's saying, I have a way to reconcile relationships. So based on this possibility of offense, Jesus provided a process for dealing with that type of offense, whatever it may be, uh, when a brother sins against you or when a sister sins against you. So Jesus gives us our first directive in this passage. He says, go and tell your brother or your sister uh, what they have done to you. Well, there it is, right? Oops, there it is. Uh, go and tell your brother or your sister what they have done to you. This is the very place that many of us fall short, right out the gate. <laughs> right out the gate, many of us fall short. Leviticus uh, 19, verse 17. Le Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him, right? There it is again. Remember last week we talked about Jacob and Esau and half after a thousand years of, of descendants between Jacob and Esau or Israel and Edom, after 1,000 years that Esau still hated his brother, right? You remember, remember us talking about that last week? But do you also remember what ended up happening to Edom or what, or what ended up happening to Esau? Right, in Amos chapter 1, verse 11, I think that's what it was. Uh, remember what happened? That they hated their brother so long that ultimately God sent the prophet 
uh, Amos uh, to, uh, to Edom or to Esau, saying that God is going to bring judgment on them. Well, see, that was nothing new. Uh, these many, many, couple of thousand years after the fact, uh, God has already established in his word in Leviticus chapter 19, 17, he says that if you hate someone and you're holding on to this thing, he says that you will incur sin. So instead of dealing with the person that has offended us, we either hold it in for some time or we start to talk about it with other folks. Uh, you heard what I said, right? When we immediately add others into the mix, it starts to transform into this big old ugly monster. Because now that other person may add uh, uh, opinions of other folks uh, and they will have their opinions about what happened, uh, what you should do, and what's going to happen in the future. And what will that do? That will do nothing but cause confusion. And number one, I say if you bring that type of person into the mix uh, that you, all, you already brought the wrong person to start with. Because if you bring the right person into the mix, they will not bring confusion. So what ends up happening? You see, when we go about this the wrong way, there is misunderstanding and more offense, all because the person who was offended failed to act in a godly manner. You see that? So the person who was wronged in the first place uh, we'll say rightfully so. Because they did not deal with it in the proper manner, what ends up happening is that uh, you know, now a bigger mess has happened. That's right. person who fails to take this first step is immediately walking in disobedience towards the Lord. I'll say it again. The person who does not take this uh, initial step as Jesus has set forth that they are walking in disobedience to the Lord. This is one of those funny little binds we sometimes find ourselves in. It is sort of like Esau, again, who was badly hurt by his brother. On the one hand, uh, his brother did him wrong, treated him like a dog, but yet we remember that Esau was also culpable all at the same time. But we don't want to get ourselves that we are to blame. So Jesus gives a direct command for his disciples to go directly to the person who has caused us the problem and tell them what they did. Tell them what they did. Jesus uses the word, it's a Greek word, uh, hupago. Hupage in this instance, uh, the same word. He uses this word uh, and it means to go. Right, you remember that. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, do you ignore what Jesus says? If you ignore what Jesus says, then I tell you, you may not be his disciple. Why? Because in John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Not only that, he says, and I know them. And guess what? Not only do they hear my voice, not only do I know them, but he also says that my sheep follow me. Right? Uh, what happens to that lonely old sheep uh, who's part of the sheepfold, right? And the shepherd is trying to take them uh, down the side of the hill or, or, or down the road somewhere, and that one little sheep doesn't want to go. What happens to that sheep? Do you know? Yeah, you know. That, that shepherd, he takes his crook and gives him a little, either a gentle pull 
around the neck like that, or maybe uh, one of the, the other stick that he has, just give him a slight little tap and say, go this way. Uh, you see, what happens when we don't go the way that Jesus wants us to go, then all of a sudden we get a little discomfort. Not knowing that this is, uh, this is God telling us, you need to get back in there now. Give us a little time. All right, now you need, to, you need to get back in. And then you know what happens to some folks who don't want to listen. Uh, sometimes those folks that don't want to listen, they may end up falling down the hill because they didn't listen in the first place. We may be willing, as Jesus commands us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, 21, when he tells us to go and make disciples, we love that, don't we? Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of other nations, a teaching and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we love that Jesus tells us to go. He tells us to go. But when Jesus tells us to go to your brother, you say, well, wait a minute now, Jesus. <laughs> well, hold, hold on now. Uh, you see, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Either you're going to fully embrace what our Lord and Savior commands us in the way that he wants us to walk, or we will ignore him. And if we ignore him, uh, that tells us that we may not belong to him. Now, if you're struggling, you know, I, I may understand that. So what is your response? That when Jesus tells you to go and speak to your brother, someone who has hurt us, what is your response? Many of us, oftentimes our response is either no, or we pretend like we don't know that verse, or that other little thing that we know we're walking against the will of God, that when we go and tell somebody else, this is what's going on. And I'm going to tell you, when you do that, according to what Jesus says, he says you're wrong. Jesus says that you're wrong. So you can't always point the finger at someone else and tell them they are in sin when you yourself, you can't approach another about your issue. You can't tell another, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't cheat, you shouldn't steal when you know there has been an offense and you refuse to walk into this. You, my brother, you, my sister, you are living in sin as well. That's why you have to be very careful and how you judge other people, because uh, the Word of God says uh, that method, that measure in which you uh, go to judge someone else, uh, he says that uh, he will use that uh, to judge you as well. In other words, how would you like that? So again, by not approaching this person face to face, it causes ongoing tensions between two people but it can also destroy church. Why? Because when you bring other people into the mix now, people are taking sides. People are taking sides. You're telling uh, this person, and then, and then the person who offended you, they hear some things, and then they go tell someone else, and then they go tell someone else. The next thing you know, within the church, uh, it may not even be blatant yet, you have two sides, two factions within the church, not knowing that the church itself could be on the verge of dividing. All because of two people 
not operating in the commandments of Jesus Christ. And yes, I'm telling you, it can go that way. In fact, it can go that same way in your family. So you must, you must deal with individuals one-on-one. -on -one. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus not only tells us to go and make disciples, but he also tells you and I to go and tell your brother or your sister their fault when they have sinned against you. Now look, it says looking at the text, we notice how Jesus tells us to go to our brother and sister. He tells us to do it how? He says to go alone, right? He says, right, go and tell him. Go and tell him. Then he says, between you and him. And then he says, alone. I mean, come on. Uh, he's like, you may not get this. So first I'm going to say, you go and tell him. Now just in case you are not crystal clear, uh, between you and him. It didn't say you, him, her, that other person, this group of people. It says you and him. That's what the text says. Does that what it say? Yes, it does. Are you in agreement with me? Just say yes. Okay. And then it says alone. In other words, Jesus is trying to emphasize don't bring a cohort of folks when there is an issue. In other words, three times within the same verse, he tells us the same thing, how to approach this situation. Why? Well, you know why. You know why. Because number one, you could have gotten your story wrong. You could conceivably, conceivably be wrong. You may have thought you heard something and they may not have said that. And then if you've caused a big mess over nothing, then how are you gonna how are you gonna unshoot a bullet? How are you gonna get that bullet back in the gun? You see when, what happens once you put that stuff out there, if it's not cleared up all the way to the last person, you're gonna have the vestiges of this floating around. A long time. And the next thing you know, people are going to just going to be looking at you funny. Because you have not properly dealt with the situation to begin with. But also, uh, we don't want that situation just developing, as I said before, into just a, a very difficult thing. So Jesus tells us to go and tell that person their fault alone. Again, this is something that we must not miss. He tells us to go and tell them their fault, which means that it is pretty well established that they did something wrong. Something did happen. Something did happen in this instance. This is the one point of clarity for which, other than the person involved, there is no question about what has happened. So we can talk about hypotheticals, but Jesus, within this passage, uh, he is saying something has truly happened. But if we do it the right way, the potential for lingering conflict is avoided and the relationship deeper, deepens. Jesus says, you have gained a brother. You see there? Uh, that's what Jesus wants. That's why he steps us through the process because he says that if it's done right, you have gained a brother or you have gained a sister. He, he says that, you know, uh, uh, if they listen to you, Right? If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. That doesn't simply mean if you're wondering that all I have to do is stand there and listen to them babble, and that's the end of that. That means that they have understood the error of their ways, uh, so they have entered into 
or this relationship, this conversation, this communication of listening. One of the areas, uh, one of the areas that, that oftentimes uh, that we deal with couples when we are counseling, one of, the, one of the major areas, one of the major areas of conflict deals with communication. There, there are scores and scores and scores, when you talk about married couples, uh, of literature that's written biblical, biblical and, 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 and extra-biblical and unbiblical uh, material, so to speak, uh, that, that talks about couples. One, one of the issues is communication. Communication. Because we think all types of things in our mind. But what is the truth? So again, realizing within that, that it is possible that you could have some of your facts wrong. So you bring it all together and you gain that brother. They will listen to you and you will walk through this thing together and the relationship will be mended. This is the goal. But what happens when you have uh, went to your brother with this uh, confrontation and it fails what, what does Jesus tell you to do? Does he tell you again now, I want you to go up and I want you to create uh, 1,000 flyers. I want you to, in that flyer, say what they have done wrong and then you pass it out to everybody that you can get a hold to. He doesn't say do that either. See, now, at this particular point, all of us, we're ready to escalate it to the point that it's still out of control. Right? Uh, read with me, please, beginning in uh, verse 16 of Matthew 18. But if he does not listen, <clears throat> take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, he says, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. An IRS agent? Huh. What happens with that person who doesn't listen and forgiveness cannot be obtained? He says that uh, if you can't get that straightened out, he says at that particular point you need to then take one or two people with you. And this time you try it again. Now, it, it, it is not for the fact that that one or two uh, people that you take with you, that they have actually witnessed all the things that happened. But their purpose is to come and, and to bring about reconciliation. Because, see, sometimes we just may need someone else who has the discernment. We need someone else who has the discernment who can help us walk through the issue. Uh, that if you get the right person, that the right person will tell you, you know what, I just listened to that story. You know, you out of your mind. How many of you have a friend in your life that simply can tell you, uh, you out of your mind? Uh, do you have any, anybody like that in your life? If you don't have anybody in your life like that, you just let me know after church and I'm going to find somebody for you. Amen? We all need checks and balances in our life. But in this case, if you go to get one or two people Make sure that they are believers. Make sure that they are believers. Don't go get and don't go get one of those folks who call themselves a Christians, but they're really not a Christian. Don't don't even bother yourself. 
Let's move on. At the end of the day, Jesus, he says, well, if that doesn't work, he said, at that particular point, then you take it to the church. Now, right? Uh, so we started at the offense. You try to deal with him one-on-one. Okay, if it worked, you gain a brother. Uh, uh, the church is back in harmony the way it should be. If it doesn't work, he said, now you take one or two people with you. Right? And the idea, again, is to bring reconciliation in, in relationship. So uh, forgiveness can abound. That's the purpose of it. Jesus is not saying, no, you, don't, you, don't you shun that person. You try and you try again and you try to get it right. Because after all, it ain't got nothing to do with your name. You see, that church has my name on it. So Jesus says, if the church has my name on it, then you need to act like you're one of my kids. And this is the way I'm telling my kids to act. But what happens if they tell it to the church? Well, number one, who is the church? Well, we are the church. So that, does that mean that finally, uh, once an opportunity presents itself, uh, that now we bring that issue before the entire church and we tell the church what's been going on and you put, you put your business out there? Is that the way we do it? Well, yes and no. Uh, Jesus, uh, we don't clearly see how he defines this, but we do see how Paul operated with the church uh, in the New Testament. So I'm going to give you two solutions. Number one, if it is one of those offenses that is contained within one or two people only, I would say that the church represents the church's leaders, those who have responsible leadership within the church. Because the idea is to bring about reconciliation. I think that's, this is what Jesus means. Now, on the other hand, uh, uh, if there's something that folks are doing, right, and this, and this mess is spread like wet wildfire throughout the church, at that point, it needs to come to the church. You need to bring, uh, if you are a leader, whoever the case may be, that particular sin needs to be put out before the rest of the church. I will give you an example, and I think it's a really good example, and some of you may have heard this before. When we were members of uh, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, that's the, uh, the church that pa uh, Pastor uh, Tony Evans, that he is the pastor of down in Dallas, that there is an issue that they had. There were, I think it was about six young ladies. And uh, they were like between the ages of 18 and 21 or 22. They were like, they're, they're right in that thing. You, you know people like that? Who live in that 18 to 22, 23 thing? But these girls were wild as the day is long. And their mess was spreading throughout the church. Basically, it was a spirit of rebellion. It was, it was sin, but also a spirit of rebellion. So how do you handle this? This mess is spreading throughout the church now. Somehow it had gotten to this point that they, they were trying to get other people involved in their sin. Well, this is, how, this is how he dealt with it. This particular, it was, it was a Sunday morning. It was a whole bunch of people. Sunday morning. And he mentions their name. He says, some of you may know so-and-so, 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 so-and-so. He went straight down the line, so-and-so, 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 so-and-so. He says, I want you to know that they have been living in sin. He says, therefore, if you see them, turn away from them. 
He says, do not have fellowship with them within the body of Christ. Well, I know some of you are saying, well, well, shouldn't we like love on them until they turn back on and so forth? But again, these folks, they have simply been rebellious. So he listed their names and he says, I don't want to see them back in the church until they have decided to repent. He said, if they're willing to talk to you about repentance, he says, by all means, you go ahead and talk to them. He says, but we have walked through this process and we had tried over and over again. And I think, I forget, this was a fairly long process. So we had tried to bring reconciliation, but they absolutely refused. So he brought it to the whole church. So the answer to that is, well, yes and no. I would say depending on the situation. It could depend just on who, how Jesus sees this. And in fact, when Jesus mentioned the church here, the church had not even been established yet. But Jesus was thinking in the future when the church would be established. Almost done. So he says, again, failure to act for forgiveness leads to disfellowship. He says, if he refuses to listen to the church, let them be as a, uh, as a Gentile and a tax collector. Well, uh, these, are not, uh, th these are not like our IRS agents. Uh, they, were, they were corrupt. They were not only collecting the money that they should have from, on behalf of the government, but they were also adding their own little 5% into the mix too, or 10%, whatever it was. So they were pretty, pretty crooked. So the idea, right, the idea of this whole thing, it, it deals with forgiveness. And I'm not going to talk about the rest uh, of the authority of the church. You know, for some other time, I'll, I'll preach this entire section. But what I am saying is that the reason that Jesus has set this process uh, into being is because he wants to see forgiveness and he wants to see reconciliation within this church. Because he says, if I forgave and I gave my life, I gave my life and I'm God, surely you can forgive. So again, brothers, sisters, the idea is not to do, destroy relationships. But always try to figure out, okay, if I, if I try to go in this way, this may not work. So I may need to come in from the south to try to bring reconciliation. Okay, if that doesn't work, then I need to try to come in maybe from the east. Wait a minute, if that doesn't work, then maybe I, I come in from the north. See, the word of God, what he's telling us, that this spirit of unforgiveness and the way that we handle this stuff, that, you know, some of us are simply not right. This is what he's saying. On the other hand, he's commending many of you, saying, man, I love you for the way that you handle that. You're showing so much maturity within the faith. So now all of you, all of us who've heard this message, we then become responsible. The next time a brother or sister offends us, now, now when I look at the passage now, okay, uh, you go back, uh, verse 15, it says to go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, okay? Does it say take your best friend? I'm asking you, does it say to take your best friend? Does it say to initially take the most godliest person within the church? 
does it say to take your mother, your father? Does Jesus say take your husband? Does he say take your wife? Now, okay, you say, but what about, but what about, there's always, there's always exception. Here's an exception, right? I, I, I understand this as well. An exception would be if someone does something and they offend your child. And that child brings it to you. In that case, as a parent, you need to go. Don't you, you, don't you be foolish and tell that kid to go back themselves that you as a parent, you need to figure out, you know, okay, how do I address this? And then I need to go ahead and address it at that particular time. In that case, I say it may be necessary to talk, you know, to have the husband and the wife together. That may make sense, right? So someone who uh, cannot defend themselves like that, a child, I, I, I understand that. Or maybe an issue where there has been like major hurt. I mean, like abuse has gone on. Now you don't want to, you don't want to deal with it like that because it's, it just calls for a big mess. Because you may be so emotionally scarred that you can't even, you can't even process it. In that case, I would tell you to get wisdom. But for the vast majority of cases, right? The vast majority of cases, Jesus tells us to go at it alone. In other words, he's saying, that you know, one of the problems that we have is that we don't want to grow up. We don't want to grow up. We want to do things in secret. We want to text about it. We want to tweet about it. We want to put it on Facebook. We want to Instagram. We want to take pictures. We, don't, we want to do everything except deal with the issue head on ourselves. But Jesus says, you are living outside of my will if you do that. So again, if you know that you operate this way, I commend you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to have you to encourage others. And if this is a struggle for you, uh, I want you to know uh, that uh, we're going to have another landing of our D-Day spiritual forces next week. We're going to keep landing on this thing until God ultimately gives you deliverance on this area of forgiveness. But I want you to know that God loves you. And he wants the best for you and also his church. And he wants us to, to do two things. He wants to lift our hand in worship and lift our hands in surrender. Let's pray.